0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Do you wish for a more fulfilling, erotic, and sexual life? The journey begins here. This is The Sexual Voice with your host, Jessica Ford. As a relationship psychotherapist working with individuals and couples for decades, Jessica knows how to create and support meaningful relationships. Along with her guests, Jessica expands the lens of sex therapy, connecting you with a more satisfying and healthier sexual self. Now, here is Jessica Ford.
2: Welcome to The Sexual Voice on this cool fall day here in Wisconsin. This episode of the show is on the ebb and flow of sex and desire. Is it me or you? And I'm going to begin the show by saying it's not often in life we get a do-over. And uh, when we do, it's a really sweet thing. Last week on Friday, the live show... uh, We had some technical difficulties, and we weren't able to bring Pepper on and the guest today. And we do, quite fortunately, uh, she accommodated us and her schedule, so uh, she is going to be live today. So we're kind of doing a recorded live show. Um, But this topic, ebb and flow of sex and desire, I'm going to say this is probably one of the things that I... Um, see most in my office. People coming in and a lot of times it's the female or the woman who is struggling with this. Uh, He doesn't come to bed, she says, or uh, he's not touching her and there's no kissing, there's no connection. And the men often report that uh, what's going on, she won't even hold my hand or Uh, when we go out you know she doesn't seem to be there so this topic is quite challenging for people and it really fuels a lot of self-doubt and our insecurities there's confusing messages sometimes because people say nothing is wrong and everything is fine but then the kind of doubt that's there well something is why you know what's going on and the person will say I'm tired or I'm really stressed and these are all quite often legitimate uh, kinds of situations but the response isn't always reassuring and so sometimes more fearful questions come up with is there someone else or do you even still love me So when physical touch, intimate desire, and sex ebbs in a relationship, the partner experiences abandonment and loss, unless there's sometimes a significant reason, like medical issues, or as I said, sometimes just extreme work stress or other kinds of stressors in life. But many times the ebb and flow can be a sign that something more is going on. So, we're looking at, in today's show, this loss of physical touch and understanding how important it is in relationship as a way of reassuring, comforting, and maintaining an intimate relationship. As I've already mentioned her name, it is an honor and a privilege to have Dr. Pepper Schwartz live with me today today. Uh, She is a professor of sociology, and she is the only sociologist we've had. Uh, I really admire the work that sociologists do, but her work has been exceptional. She is at the University of Washington in Seattle. She has multiple degrees uh, from Washington University in St. Louis, just down the road from me. And she also has a master's and PhD uh, from I think sociology, from Yale University. Um, Pepper's contribution to sexuality and relationships is beyond impressive. She has spent her entire career looking at our human need for physical connection and connection and what influences it. She is considered one of the world's top relationship experts. She is a leading scholar whose work bridges the gap between academia and the general public. And that is a daunting task, to write something for the academic community that is transferable and translatable for the general public to read. She is a renowned author and has co-authored and authored over 25 books, endless articles she also helped create a dating website called Perfect Match. She's also the AARP's Love, Sex, and Relationship Ambassador. And she is one of three experts on the hit television show on a and and I guess it's also on FYI, that show Married at First Sight. When a lot of people ask me, who's your guest on the show this week? And I said, Pepper Schwartz. And they knew her name because they had been watching this Married at First Sight. It's kind of a show that uh, I think is like arranged marriages might have been, but it's kind of interesting. But her work, before I actually say hello to her, her work is so impressive because she hit the ground running when she went to Yale in 1970, and her first publication, Sex in the Yale Student, Student Guide to Sex on Campus. Must have been interesting in 71 at the height of uh, the sexual revolution. Women at Yale in 71. Couple American Couples in 83. American Couples, Money, Work, and Sex. Gender and Intimate Relationships. Everything you need to know about love and sex is wrong probably quite right in 91. And peer relationships, it goes on and on. The gender of sexuality, which is a piece I'm going to quote from a little later. Uh, The Great Sex Weekend, Uh, how to talk to children about sex. And her latest one is Prime, which is, I think, the Tell All of Pepper's Life is kind of an interesting book as she discloses quite a bit about herself and her experiences. So, taking a breath here and saying welcome Pepper. Thank you for being on the line. Thank you for being live. Thank you for going through all the things you had to do to make that possible today. And it is, oh, I said, oh, Lord, earlier, I'm
3: overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, take a deep Thank breath.
3: Thank you for all those
2: incredibly nice words. Well, you deserve them. You've dedicated your life to something that is meaningful to all of us, and that's relationship. And we're going to, as I said, be looking at this basic human need. and And I have shared with you quite a bit about the show. The show, Sexual Voice, is is trying to help people connect with. What are, who are they sexually and what are their needs? Because I look at it as kind of using a bit of a Maslow perspective and veil throughout this. Sex is a basic need, if physiological, and not sex from that behavior or the behavior piece. And, and I know you talk about uh, procreation, but it's a basic need. And I see sex as a much bigger framework of how we connect our need for physical connection so this is what I keep building on as I continue to explore so let's jump in
3: well I totally loved your introduction by the way because first of all I thought it was very compassionate and um, permission giving to think about this in its largest scope that you know touch is something that we need to actually be a normal functioning human being and if we're deprived of it, particularly from the person who, in a sense, we've been most vulnerable with and, and most hopeful about, um, it's it's a very difficult, sometimes tragic, but at least painful episode, particularly if it goes on for more than an occasional experience. Um, it's, it's a big deal.
2: No, it, it's so significant, I think, that it affects certainly whatever is going on in the current relationship. But what I see over and over again, it plays out in future relationships. It's, you know, we go back and we can talk about attachment theory and we go, you know, the importance of touch. And we did from a neurobiology perspective at the very first show with uh, Jim Faust. But The infant dies if it's not touched and nurtured and, and, you know, loved and, you know, that physical connection isn't there. But I think it's also a part of us that dies if we're not, you know, can't connect with someone, as you say, that we're taking that risk to be vulnerable with. So what have you found over the course of your work, and you've written about a lot of this, to be contributing factors in this ebb and flow sex and desire?
3: Well, I think there's both internal and exogenous factors. Um, there's so many. But to just do a general statement, see what you'd like to pursue. In terms of internal factors, there is um, background factors, as you mentioned uh, in your discussion. That is to say, um, a deprived childhood, um, learning um, in a sense, the wrong things about sexuality, i.e., that it's dirty, awful, you know, you should feel guilty about it, it's punishing, things like that. Um, or, or internal states of feeling unworthy in the moment, too heavy, too fat, too unattractive, too, or, you know, too worthless in a larger sense, things that, that make you shut down and, um, be unable to reach out or find it upsetting to be reached out to because you're unworthy and and this is something that, you know, you shouldn't have to need or want. Um, So I think all those internal states are are very uh, dangerous, sometimes deadly, to Even the, the most modest kind of connection, for example, holding hands, cuddling, kissing, that kind of thing. Um, And then there's the exogenous factors, which, I mean, the things that that hit people's lives that take them down, that they weren't expected, losing your job, um, having uh, some terrible um, disease, even though it's passing. Let's say you're a cancer survivor, but, you know, you live in fear, um, and fear is one of the best ways to extinguish sexual drive that I know of. Um, And... You know, or your partner has had an affair, and that has cut to the bone about how you feel about yourself and how you feel about them. So, you know, there's many, many ways to get to this situation, which unfortunately makes it an all-too-common situation. I should also say there's there's people even use it to punish each other. You know, I'm angry at you, and, you know, I'm not going to give you the comfort of of my touch. I mean, it's... You know, there's a thousand different reasons that can create this situation.
2: No, and, and the the latter that you just said is one of the most punitive. And so often I see people who even stop talking. You know, he doesn't talk to me for days if he's upset with me. And that kind of punishment is, is harsh. And it takes, you know, so it, it, these many of these things that you've just described kind of uh, create that injury and those emotional attachment injuries that even go on in, in a current relationship. So um, we're about a minute from going to a break. So maybe this would be a good time to take a break. And then we can come back and explore this a bit more because I don't want to get into it too much. And, uh but I'd like to have the more time to continue. So I think we're going to take a break right now and we'll be right back with our very distinguished guest Dr. Pepper Schwartz.
4: News. News. Opinion. Opinion.
1: Listening to The Sexual Voice with Jessica Ford. To reach our show today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to The Sexual Voice at jafordgroup.com. Now, back to The Sexual Voice. So we're back
2: with uh, Dr. Pepper Schwartz and kind of exploring what contributes to. When that physical connection is lost, and you've described several different factors, um, is there one that stands out in your mind as something that, uh, in your work <coughs> or research, kind of shows up? Um, well,
3: um, I think I think the the research is very. Unequivocal on touch and being held. Uh, as you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, babies actually can either wither and die. There was a large uh, classic experiment on that in um, on orphanages many years ago, and showed that the babies that were held thrived, and the babies that were not did not. Also, you know, babies need eye contact. They need focus, and if they don't get that, it hurts them. Um, the touch, the touch experiments show that, for example, you, know, you put two rats in a cage and give them a subcutaneous cut. You cut one, you know, means below the skin, and you put one with um, a mate and the other alone. And the one with the mate just next to them heals quicker. Um, there's studies that show if you hold hands, your blood pressure goes down. You're more likely to reach um, a, um, a conclusion of an argument, and you're more likely to, to um, reach it quicker and with less acrimony than those people who who um, are not holding hands, but, you know, randomly selected. You know, you couldn't have much more information, I think, in the science literature that the sex and touch are human needs, not just preferences, but needs, and that there's negative outcome if you're not touched, if you don't touch, if you aren't held. I mean, obviously, there's other benefits as well from, you know, more advanced sexual Connection, like intercourse and um, arousal and desire. There's there's a huge literature on the production of hormones that we need that are are only produced by orgasm. But from the very basic thing, from touch, you know, literally having an arm around you, to more advanced forms of sexual pleasure, this is not optional. And we and we forego it at, at some risk of of our health and our well being and our mental our mental acuity, and our, our mental happiness.
2: I'm, I'm going to ask a question. What about KISS? I've, I've become KISS. quite curious of about KISS. And uh, so, you know, I mean, KISS is touch, right? But there's something, you know, and, and I don't mean to be putting you off here, but, you know, I'm, is there any research about, you know, talking about the benefits of KISS? There that is more erotic is mm-hmm.
3: yeah <laughs> well there is some research and as you might imagine it's positive it's beneficial it's a way of connecting it's a way of apologizing and it's a way of saying I'm safe I mean as you know um, in particularly in the European countries and the Latin countries but somewhat in the United States people will often kiss upon uh, seeing each other it's a not an erotic kiss it's a polite it's a it's an affectionate way of of greeting people you know. Sometimes in some European countries, they do even if they don't know you. But it, it is a it's a it's almost like food sharing. It's one of those things that says, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be nice to each other. We're friendly. Um, and then of course there's a kiss, and then there's a kiss. They're obviously the kind I'm describing, which is greeting old friends upon meeting, versus an erotic and prolonged kiss um, is important and. I also think that, you know, we have brains, very complex brains, so we know the difference between a kiss that's perfunctory and a kiss that is warm and welcoming. So if you get a perfunctory kiss from your lover or partner, that can be an insult depending on how it's delivered.
2: Mm -hmm. No, I've had had clients say, but he kisses me like he kisses his grandmother. It becomes a peck, and, you know, he'll quite often say, well, no, no, I mean, I am kissing you. And she says, no, it's like a peck on the cheek. And, you know, that isn't quite the connection that, uh, that you know, she's looking for. Uh, but based on, again, your work and what, you know, how, how we can maybe help couples understand this need for touch, is there any direction or approach that you can say they can help resolve um helping them understand, but also improve their ability to have physical connection.
3: Well, I think you start take, if you've been separated for whatever reasons, I mean emotionally, cognitively, you just, you don't have this going on, I would say one person says to suggest the other, I'd like to hold hands when we're together, I'd like to feel that connection. I think that's a good beginning. You know, when we're taking a walk, let's hold hands. When we're sitting at the TV, let's put an arm around me or I'll put an arm around you. Um, When we're going to bed, let's snuggle for the first five minutes, even if we like sleeping separately. I would say just get body contact again going. It has an extraordinary impact. It really does. There is something about that kind of body touch, which is in a very affectionate, not necessarily erotic place, but if you start doing it, it actually changes the way you feel about each other. It is a connector, it's a peace offering, and it and it feels good. So even the slightest amount of bringing it back into a relationship is a very powerful thing to do.
2: So just being able to to put you know these efforts, because i I know there's uh, some sex experts say that we should have sex three times a week or something to that effect in order to maintain kind of health. But some people find that that's just not who they are. And and you know Barry McCarthy's work and, and he says that there's a percentage, 18 to 30 percent of our, you know, sexual life, you know, in, in relationship is, is important. Um, but... Going back to this physical actual touching, and and if I'm listening to you correctly, Pepper, the idea of just introducing ongoing touch, as you say, that snuggle, that holding hand, that arm around, that you know, that affectionate touch, which is hard for people, because you we talked about some families. they one of the questions that I often ask, um, Couples is in the first session is what did affection look like growing up? All too often, I hear I never saw affection, you know, and it's rare when I hear no, you know, my parents were very playful with one another. But it's, so getting out of a comfort zone, I guess, is, you know, urging them. I refer to myself as a tugboat and as a clinician, I'm kind of nudging them forward and to where they say they want to be. They want a more meaningful, connected relationship. So I guess creating that basis of just integrating and having ongoing touch might lead to more sexual activity? Is, am am I, I getting that correct?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think sometimes when people have become alienated from one another in one way or the other, or one person has withdrawn, you know, just holding hands might seem like, you know, crossing the Grand Canyon. It takes a lot to become Back into physical contact when it's been shut off for quite a long time, or, co- or shut off for you know many of the reasons we talked about, um, mm-hmm. you know earlier on. And it's a it's a peace offering, but it's also a connection. It changes the way you feel about people. It may be then after that it's baby steps. You start kissing hello and kissing good night. Um, then maybe you, you know, person feels ratified. And safe enough to suggest, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to have some physical contact with you tonight. And, you know, I want you, I desire you, and I'd like to be with you. I mean, but it takes a while to get to the point where you feel brave enough that you wouldn't be rejected to say those kinds of things. Um, and I think all these different kinds of touch, making sure they, they either get back into the relationship or they're instituted in the relationship, can can give a pathway to a, a larger. Or fulfilling sensual and sexual life together.
2: No, I can see that happening. I, I have watched some of the Married at First sight shows, and <laughs> I know there was, you know, and, and even, of course, this is a bit of an experiment in life, but uh, oh, yeah. having, you know, them, the, the couples, begin to initiate kind of touch. Seems, you know, some immediately jump in and others seem to be more reticent for. It. So I've, I've kind of enjoyed listening to your approach with them about beginning some intimate connection. And uh, it's been hard, but obviously communication. So, so communicating, it's one thing to talk about it, but the communication seems sometimes to fall negative. And it's what the other person is not doing, right? And as opposed to what they need to be doing. And, right. you know, I need you to touch me this way as opposed to you never touch me this way is is something yeah. that, that I often uh, I- encourage uh, couples to pursue. So we're coming up on another break. But when we come back, the big question, is sex a basic human need? And again, defining sex in... You know, intercourse is great. You know, I think we all really enjoy it. But hopefully, and maybe some could enjoy it more. But uh, looking at it is a little bit more than just penetrative sex. So when we come back, Pepper, that's my question for you. And we'll have about 15 minutes to explore that. So we're out on okay, a boat. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. Okay. We're out on a break, and we'll be back with Dr. Pepper Schwartz.
4: News. News. Opinion. Opinion.
1: Listening to The Sexual Voice with Jessica Ford. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to The Sexual Voice at jafordgroup.com. Now, back to The Sexual Voice.
2: Welcome back to The Sexual Voice, and uh, again, it's a privilege to have Dr. Pepper Schwartz here, and we're talking about the importance of touch and reclaiming that when it's maybe lost in the relationship or where when there's injuries that have occurred. So, um, the question that I left last uh, segment with was, is sex a basic human need? And Pepper, what do you think? What do you have to say?
3: I do think it's a basic human need. I mean, let's let's be serious. If people didn't reproduce, you know, that would be the end of our species. So you can imagine that it's an incredibly strong drive. Um, first of all, it is the way we have we have babies. So um, there is that drive towards babies as well, which, you know, doubles the, impu- the, the drive, I think. But on the other hand, um, it's not just for babies. I mean, we also have intercourse when pregnant. So it's obviously a drive that includes reproduction, but is also parallel to reproduction. And I think it's our way of connecting. It's our way of creating strong hormones uh, that, that make us bonded. And loyal, and you know, in fact, sometimes passionately in love. I think the um, the way we're constructed. I mean, women have a clitoris, and there has been no, no known research that's indicated that that's important for anything but pleasure. Um, it's not it's not any help in the reproductive process. Um, it's just something that that, that excites us. And I think that means that, you know, this is just part of the way we were constructed to be sexual, to want to connect, to to get reinforcement when we do connect. Now, granted, it's not a basic human need like food and water. We will not die um, if we don't have um, sex, but we will not flourish if we don't have some kind of sensuality, connection, touch um um being part of, of the human bond. Most of the people who turn out to be, you know, crazy and dangerous are not people in good relationships with lots of friends. They're usually people who are deprived of touch, deprived of sexual connection in a positive way. So I think I think we don't think about this as an auxiliary part of our of our life, but something that we should encourage or reclaim because there are really serious consequences um, if it's not in our life. Yes, we can live, but we will live as well as we would if it was a part of who we are.
2: So it's more about living in a healthier way.
3: Yeah, I think so. But I I mean, you know, and I think that's um, a broad way of saying, you know, it's, it's, it will help us um, save off mental illness, you know, which is not inconsequential. <laughs> it will help so us good. <laughs> create loyalties so we are not alone and more vulnerable in the world. Um, it will help us receive love, which seems to be a, a human need nurtured from our very first moment, you know, suckling at a mother's breast and, and, and being told we are loved by a parent. Um, and if we, we didn't get that, if we were unlucky enough not to get a good love model, we can create one and get some of those benefits later on. Granted, it's harder if you never felt loved or touched, et cetera. Sometimes there's a lot of damage done, but that doesn't mean it can't be dealt with, you know, either through therapy or through um, a great relationship that, that helps us reclaim a part of ourselves that has been lost or damaged.
2: No, I'm. I'm gonna just pick up on a piece a little earlier. You talked about uh, the clitoris, and uh, the extraordinary work that now has come out, um, even defining what the you know the clitoris is and how there's the internal and the external. Um, I've I've got that on my Facebook, but page. But it is. Uh, France, in France, and you probably have seen this already, but in France, they're actually using this model of a 3D model of the clitoris to show the external, but the internal, and even the research now showing that it is the internal part of the clitoris that actually contributes to vaginal orgasm. So, it's it's fascinating That all of the work for how many decades and have never really looked at this. And it is part of the advancement, I guess, with MRIs and so forth that we're able to even make these determinations. But it's it's astounding and tragic at the same time, I think, that uh, the female anatomy has been so ignored. And uh, we just... You know, here we are in the twenty first century, just discovering and understanding these body parts that uh, we've taken for granted. So, kind of injecting that. But, uh, and have you seen that three D model of of the clitoris?
3: You know, I'm not sure I've seen that. But what I have seen is an autopsy of the actual organ. Oh, well, is, that beats
2: the three D model. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah so
3: three D. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, and I show it to my classes and I show it often to colleagues and I couldn't remark you sometimes, everyone's shocked at what a large organ it really is. You know, that it exactly. has a, you know, a spine that's analogous to the penile shaft. It has these two very big nerves that come and wrap around the opening to the vagina. Um, and then a lot of um, nerves that attach to the spine. I mean, it's it's a very large and very um, erotic uh, contribution to, you know, to our, our nervous system and the fact that medical books and everything else shows this little button, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and labial lips and that's it. It's, you know, give me a break.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know this. This was. Uh, I, I've I've decided to order one so I could have this to show people who who kind of just look at it in such a limited way. So, but it really, I think, does uh, speak to. Um, and and I won't become too political, but our need to expand a dialogue about healthy sex. And I see, you know, it. so what is healthy sex? And, and by using this phrase, is sex a basic need? I see it as a basic need because we need to understand ourselves sexually. We need to understand what goes on with us sexually, what are our parts. And uh, Alexandra Solomon was on when we looked at sex and technology, and uh, she teaches at Northwestern. And, you know, the comments she says from students who have never experienced an orgasm, they're in their 20s, and then she'll say to them, you know, what about self-pleasuring, what about touch? And she says, they look at me like I have, you know, two heads, because they would never consider touching themselves. Um, so the work, you know, it seems like we've come so far, but yet in such a limited way. So you are I don't know, are you still teaching? Uh, I know you're still at the university, but I'm not sure what your, you know, your um, course load is.
3: Well, I do in fact teach one very large course that starts actually in a couple days—the sociology of human sexuality—and I also teach a large, and a small course on the sociology of intimate relationships. It's still something that I feel is a contribution, and I'm afraid if I stop teaching, <laughs> we still at the university, so I, I keep mm-hmm. going, and and that is where I will show you know that picture of a I will talk about you know, why is masturbation still such a taboo topic? And and why do, I mean, I I have a a day at the end of the the class called Everything You Want to Know About Sex, but are afraid to ask, and people put in anonymous questions, and then I read them and um, answer them. And and this is at the end of the class, and and there's still some stuff that comes up that I go, obviously I'm not spending enough time on this Because, I mean, I had one guy, a 20-year-old guy from an Asian country, first generation, um, and he was worried that by masturbating in his shower that the person who would come in after him would become impregnated. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very worried about that. He said he scrubbed the shower really well because he was very scared about that. And... um you know, since it's anonymous, I I couldn't uh, have a, a longer sit down with him, but I did invite the person who asked this question to come in and talk to me. And he didn't. He just asked the question, but of course, I addressed it. And it it just reminds me that there are a lot of people coming environments that, um, you know, they're they're coming from cultures that they've never ever said a word to themselves or each other about you know basic sex education, and that. Um, I can't assume that that even though these many of these kids it's like a big class, a couple hundred people, um, have have gotten good information about about their bodies, uh, their right to be sexual, safe, what's safe and what isn't, and and you know that a lot of what they've inherited is fear, is from you know hundreds of years of of religious prohibitions that. And they can Mm -hmm. evaluate and and not take on it if they want to, because a lot of those prohibitions came in times without the kind of information that we have now. No,
2: but this is, uh, as we're talking today on the show about physical touch, and, you know, while the focus has been on receiving and giving touch to a partner, um you know, it speaks volumes when we know that we can't even touch ourselves. And, you know, when people are struggling with the kind of misconception of who we are and what we are sexually, um, it's, this is distressing and the realization that people feel they're their genitals are somehow unclean and uh, not meant to be touched or, you know, what is the purpose of them um, is is something that these taboos we need to get past. This, matter of fact, this is the next week sh- or this Friday show is going to be on race, culture, and sex and kind of looking at it. And, and I did use some of your um, work from the gender of sexuality, uh, you know, to kind of look at that because you you do a, a good job of, uh, you know, kind of setting that up for looking at just the impact that, so, you know, society has had and how it affects our biology. So um, we're kind of coming at the end, and it's been a delight. I could talk to you for a long time. Um, Thank you. But, <laughs> is there something you would like to leave our listeners with today?
3: Well, I, I would just like to under underline the theme of the show. The touch, our own touch helps us. I think the touch of others even more, but that putting touch into our life is is a real fulfillment of who we're supposed to be as human beings on this earth and that if, they're listening and and this kind of emotional, warm, sensual, and ultimately sexual touch is not in their relationship or has not been in their single life thus far, that it's something to think about very seriously about how to do that in a healthy and safe way.
2: Right. Uh, I know you have a huge schedule, and uh, (laughs) matter of fact, I think when we finally connected, uh, you were in Atlanta, so... um, Is there anything you would like to share? Do you have any books coming out or is there a project you're working on or are you going to be speaking anywhere? Is there anything you'd like to promote about yourself?
3: Well, I I have some more recent recent books. One's called The Normal Bar, The Surprising Secrets of Happy Couples. That's a couple of years ago and that was on the New York Times bestseller list and it's a, a good study about what goes with relationship happiness and I have a new book that's out this last year called 50 Great Myths About Human Sexuality and someone could take a look at that and get all the recent literature on, you know, what we think we know and what there really is that's been studied about it. So those are the things I've done in print. I am going to be speaking to the Maine gerontological society in, um, I think it's October 5th or 6th, and uh, the other kinds of... A lectures coming up are not not open right now, but uh, I mean to the public they're, they're usually you know, society type mm-hmm. things. Um, but I do write a column um, called "The Naked Truth" on ARP and, and that's a place where people can also ask me questions. Um, oh, and I did have a recent book called um, uh, "Places for Passion: The Seventy Five Most Romantic Places in the in in the world." So. I'm a romance uh, and and sex and relationship uh, obsessive, I guess. It's what I think about it. It's what I write about it. It's what I talk about.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do it so well. What is the top uh, romantic place in the world?
3: Well, I divide it into four kinds of places. Cities, uh, countryside, uh, beaches, and urban because people have different kinds of places that they love. But I, uh, to give you a broad spectrum, of course, I I love the island of Bali. Um, I love the American West, the grandeur of Wyoming, Montana, places like that take your breath away, and I think that stimulates you towards more deep emotion elsewhere, Mm -hmm. and I think that, um, and of course, Santa Fe has a nice spiritual as well as romantic cast to it, but Um, You know, it just really depends. I I actually find New York very romantic (laughs) because I think there's so many wonderful things to do there. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I could go on and on.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, and and that would be nice. Um, So, and the show is in the Married at First Sight is in its fourth season or is there going to be a fifth?
3: um, uh, Married at First Sight is is on its uh, fourth season. It's on Tuesdays. Starting from about six to twelve, I mean, they have you know reruns and things. You can also watch it on Hulu or Directv and on Netflix. Um, and it's uh, going into its fifth season. We're doing that now in Chicago. So the fourth season is getting towards the end, um, and uh, people will find out who stays married. Uh, it's it's been a fascinating journey with everyone. And I'm still friendly with a lot of the people from the previous seasons. We go through so much together, we tend to consider each other you know sort of in the same extended family.
2: No, yeah, I can see that it would be yeah, quite easy to build relationships with them because it is such a intimate experience that you're you're conducting. so um, one last question. what have you learned from it?
3: I have learned. Um, from from Mary sight, how limited most people's communication skills are, that we need to really understand how to talk and listen and be more thoughtful and less reactive. I think that's at the heart of most couples' problems. They blow up. They don't know how to talk through. They don't know how to repair Mm -hmm. very well. They don't take each other's role very well. You know, if I ruled the world, everyone would get a lot more training in high school, uh, maybe even earlier about how to talk, how to listen, how to solve, you know, Mm -hmm. how to have compassion for the other person's point of view.
2: That's well said. I I think when I hear reactive, I think of the benefits of mindfulness and how even to take that pause, to take that breath. And uh, I'm going to be teaching a mindfulness-based stress reduction course, an eight-week course. And that is the whole basis is uh, understanding how to step back and stop uh, before you react. And it is more about what is the appropriate response. And, And you're right, if we could just pull back and stop pause long enough, you know, we might have another response as opposed to the reactive one. So thank you so much. Uh, You've done an amazing job as always. So I hope to see you at some point down the road somewhere at one of these conferences and uh, I appreciate all that you do.
3: Oh, thank you. In fact, you just reminded me that uh, Society for the Scientific Study of Sex, I will be speaking there in November. So Sarah Compton is going up. Hopefully, see you there.
2: Well, uh, actually, my guest this coming week, this is a good segue. Uh, Herbert Samuels is uh, my guest oh, yeah. this coming week. Yeah. And so uh, I will mention that to him. But yes, thank you so much. And we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. <laughs>
4: news News. opinion Opinion. your voice counts call toll-free 1-866-472-5787 1-866-472-5787 VoiceAmerica.com.
5: take us on the go it's even easier now the voice america talk radio network has launched our mobile app for iphone android or blackberry
1: are Listening to The Sexual Voice with Jessica Ford. To reach our show today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to The Sexual Voice at jafordgroup.com. Now, back to The Sexual Voice.
2: Hello, welcome back. And this is the close of the show. And I'm, again, so thankful. I thought it was uh, really informative and so much valuable information that uh, Dr. Pepper Schwartz was able to share with us. But coming up uh, this Friday is culture, race, and sex. And we're going to also have a small segment at the end looking back at the last four shows that we've just done. So we're going to be looking at how culture and race influence our sexuality and how each society has its own rules for sex and contributes to how people experience their biology in widely different ways because society does sometimes contribute to, not sometimes, it always contributes to how we see ourselves sexually. We have... Uh, Dr. Herb, uh, Herbert Samuels, who is the president and foundation of scientific study of sexuality, uh, and he is going to be on the show. His publications mostly concern with sexual behavior, and is currently on the board of advisors for the Sinclair Intimacy Institute. And he has done several sex education videos, which also include the Better Sex Guide or sex video series for black couples. We also have Dr. Katherine Hall who received her PhD in clinical psychology from McGill and she has written many books, one of which is Reclaiming Your Sexual Self and also The Principles and Practice of Sex Therapy and The Cultural Context of Sexual Pleasures and Problems. So I really want to thank all of you for listening. I appreciate the responses that I get and keep listening. Um, looking at thinking of going into a second season uh, with this show as we continue to expand uh, sex therapy and the context of how people can connect with themselves sexually in a more meaningful way. So you're encouraged to follow and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So I'm going to say goodbye for now. Thank you for listening. Always remember, healthy sex begins with you. And please join me on Friday, and we will continue to explore and talk some more.
0: Thank you for joining Jessica and her guests today on The Sexual Voice. Please tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and 12 noon Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy your sexual self, and please join us here next Friday.